Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the State of Love and Trust, a Pearl Jam podcast with yours truly, Jason Carapesi, and my good buddy, my good pal, Paul Gillieri. There he is. There he is. There he is. So uh, a lovely show for you today, guys. We've got a few things today. Um, before we get into the meat and potatoes, I want to remind you, please uh, rate, review, and subscribe. And if you review, we will read it. We will. On the show, we will read it with fervor and gusto. <laughs> not not necessarily in that order, no. But with those two things, but it'll happen. You're adjusting your headphones. Are you okay? I am. Yeah, it's uh, it's like my I had a ball cap on, you know, and then you take the ball a cap, ball cap, you say, and then the, the hair gets all ruffled. You throw the headphones okay. on top. Just uh, I was having a moment, man. I was having. I a saw moment. your quaff last night. It's a lovely. Yeah, speaking hair. of moments. We celebrated your birthday out in public. And you know what? I'm a little disappointed because when we did the same thing for my birthday, we actually took a, a little photo, you and I, which we then posted on the socials. And we didn't get something similar like that. Just you and I for, well, for, for this. We'll have, to, we'll have to remedy that maybe sometime this week or next. We can do that. My wife did post a photo of us on Instagram. Just the two of you? The, the whole gang. Oh, well, yeah. But I look like gang. a clown on that one. <laughs> You well, purposefully. That's, that's. I mean, you're not really saying much there because no, you always true. look at the clown. That's true. That's true. So, but I, you know, I will say, um, I did notice that some in our wonderful Pearl Jam community reached out to you and wished you a happy birthday. So it, they it, did. They it, did. I thought that was. In fact, I must say, yeah, it was quite lovely. Um, some people did uh, chime in on Facebook, and and that was very nice. I, uh, our friend Krista. Krista Coiner, mm-hmm. um, big, uh, big in the black circle community, um, put a little post out on their fan page, clipping off a, yeah. uh, a request that I made a few uh, live streams ago. So that was very nice of her with a fun little back plate. Happy birthday, Jason. So yeah. thank you all. Uh, I am one year closer to dying. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, You're just gigaton personified over here. Yeah, I am. I'm losing my mind. Uh, so today we will touch on a, an odd topic. Um, our main topic tonight is going to be three songs we actually prefer acoustically. They're not acoustic songs, but we appro- we prefer them in their acoustic format. Correct. Uh, and then we're going to revive our over under segment, and we're going to hit the album verses mm-hmm. today. So this could be tricky, and uh, we'll do a lyric and live cut of the week later on. But first. You brought something to my attention, a bit of news that I actually didn't even hear about until, uh, I want to say, just a couple of days ago. Uh, Tina Bell, a, a legendary, um, uh, I would say, grunge singer, uh, before grunge was a thing, before we labeled it grunge in the yeah. Seattle area, um, she had a bit of a tribute show to her and her band uh, bam, bam. on Friday. Bam, bam, yeah. Uh, Matt Cameron sat in with that with that band. Stone did a song himself. Um, the thing with Tina Bell, if you don't know, is, is she's a black woman, mm-hmm. and that's kind of rare, not only in rock and roll, but in, in that Seattle scene, that grunge scene. And uh, if you don't know who this person is, then well, that's the issue: is that uh, you don't know who she is, and she kind of pioneered and godmothered this whole thing we call rock and roll in that area. So. Um, I think feel like we should mention her. We should we should bring her up. And and Paul, I know you wanted to kind of talk a little bit about what she meant to the to the area and, and the music that came out of the area. Yeah, you know, I um I was sadly very ignorant on Tina Bell's legacy and her long lasting influence when it comes to the Seattle sound. And I was very grateful for an article that came out in the Seattle Times. Uh, on July 8th, uh, for remedying that ignorance of mine. <laughs> uh, so Tina Bell, as you mentioned, was the lead singer of a band called Bam Bam. This was a Seattle band in the uh, mid-80s, and uh, I think they, they, con- they continued into 
the very early 90s. I want to say 1990s when they broke up, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, and then uh, Tina would, would sadly pass away in 2012. But uh, she was this force of nature when you watch. I mean, it's, it, I love that line. And what, what's uh, what, she was a singer in a rock and roll band. What was that? That's uh, who, uh, oh, whoever said, yes, right? Yes. Every time I hear that lyric now, I can't help but think of Tina Bell. And um, I'm not saying it was an homage to Tina Bell. Uh, by no stretch of the imagination, I have no idea who Eddie was referencing with that line. But it would be pretty cool if it was Tina Bell. Uh, I say that because she had this, she and her bandmates had this ability to put together this really, really cool, muddy electric sound that ultimately has led her to be known as the godmother of grunge. And I've started going back and kind of like searching for Bam Bam music. And you really hear a lot of that influence. You, you hear shades of, of I, sh- I was going to say you hear shades of bands like Mud Honey and Screaming Trees and um, Green River and all these great Seattle punk and, and uh, grunge bands. It, in reality, though, I, what I should be saying is when you listen to those bands, you hear shades exactly. of band because yeah. they, they, they are predecessors. And so this particular sound, I mean, she had this just shriek. It was a, a shrieking siren. This, this just spine chilling is how the Seattle Times writer put it. And I thought that was an apt description. So definitely check out more from Bam Bam if you get an opportunity. But more importantly than that, just kind of taking a moment to appreciate a forgotten artist and her placement in Seattle's rock history, but also music history. I mean, bands like Nirvana and Pearl Jam, these are bands that are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I don't know how their sound would have evolved if a band like Bam Bam wasn't around. Kurt Cobain was a roadie for Bam Bam. No kidding. There's a, a, yeah, he was a roadie. There's a great story, wow. actually, of the guitarist for Bam Bam, who I guess ripped on Cobain for dropping a guitar case or, or not getting something set up properly. I'd have to go back and reference it. And he said, I remember seeing Kurt on the side of the mm-hmm. stage, hugging his knees, <laughs> you know, just like really just down on himself yeah. for that. And it's just, it's amazing to think though, that he, here's this kid, this young kid who loved this band enough to want to be a roadie for them. And he ultimately would eclipse anything they had ever become. But how indebted to this band are musical acts like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and so on. And so I really do think that, that there, there, uh, there needs to be more attention paid to that. And it's worth noting, as you mentioned, you know, Tina Bell, a black woman, she doesn't fit the stereotypical front woman or front man of a grunge band from Seattle in the early nineties, you know, this, this plaid or corduroy, you know, jeans ripped up, but that's not the look. And so she, she really kind of pioneered something musically, for these gents. And and I think they recognize that and that that had a lot to do with why somebody like Matt Cameron would want to sit in. And so definitely think it's worth checking out. Those of you listening who were unaware, I know Mm. I was, and uh, I'd like to kind of maybe keep that conversation going a little bit more down the road. Yeah. uh, Illuminating voices that um, gave you the voices you do know. You know, that's something that I think when we actually, when we've spoken to, um, Black Circle a number of times. I remember Gabriel Z, we asked him what his favorite Pearl Jam song is. He's like, oh, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I like a lot of them, but you know, I'm, I actually like to focus on the bands that influenced Pearl Jam. Yeah. So it's the same kind of concept. I, it's kind of going to the next It'd be really down. cool to actually, next time, next time we have Black Circle on, I'd love to talk with Gabriel about Bam. I don't know how familiar he is with Bam Bam, but uh, it would be really interesting mm-hmm. to get a take from those who play Pearl Jam's music kind of get an idea. Hey, go listen to these, these folks, you know, when you listen to Bam Bam, do you hear that influence in your uh, replication of Pearl Jam's music or not? I mean, I I just think it's a really interesting conversation about the organic evolution of this sound. Absolutely. And uh, she was a singer in a rock and roll band, had command of all her voices, turned herself into a hologram. It all came down to choices. So I say till then, never say goodbye. A little trick I play on my mind. Never destination, my Fantastic. friend. Yep, that's the and You know that's what? If track. it's not referencing Tina, then that's a hell of a coincidence. Yep, yep. Let's go now to our, our meat and potatoes here. Three songs that we each actually like more 
and the acoustic uh, rendition of. So this for me was a little tricky because first of all, it's kind of, unless they've played this song acoustically before in some capacity, you have to imagine it. So right. if you can imagine it, then that's even more intriguing to me, but that was, that was hard. Huh. Um, for sure. So for me, um, I'll start off here. I'll, I'll, I'm going to start with all those yesterdays. Okay. I think that main riff absolutely works on the acoustic. I think it's, a, it's like a perfect walking around riff. Do, 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 do. It just feels like an amble. So when I listened to the Mansfield uh, Massachusetts show, which would have come out uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, would have been 18 years old, July 11th, 20, uh, 2003. Um, and as many of you know, there was the third of three shows in about a week, week and a half in that part of the country. And they set out to play every song that they knew to the t- at the time. And so they put out a preset of acoustic, I think about 10 songs um, acoustically before the opening band came on, which I forget, it probably was probably like Sparta or something like that, before they came on and did their real set. So they had like a 45 song set split up. Um, and so they played a number of songs acoustically, as they tend to do, like on that first encore in the last handful of tours. And they played all these yesterdays and now I can't hear the song another way. It just the way this song unfolds just makes me feel the same way that Off He Goes does. Um, hmm. the, the intimate um, kind of walking around vibe. Uh, and I can feel the subject moving when the song crescendos towards the end. I get some of those same vibes that I do from Off He Goes. And I think the singing style really lends itself to an acoustic jaunt down a dirt path. Um, I really get that from this version. And so forth, even though, and I know you don't like the song, but even though I do like the right, the studio version, there's something I like a little bit more about this acoustic version. So for me, all those yesterdays is my first choice. I'm totally with you on that one. Is that, is that a choice for you? That, that, well, it was that and long road. They were kind of like running neck and neck. I really like the, the long road acoustic version that opens up Mansfield. Mm. I, I, I thought that set opening with that song first of all it's a great concert opener, but to hear it played in that fashion i thought it was fantastic there's something about that intimate journey that long road sets up and when it's played acoustically it really plays up that that folk element mm-hmm. of it you know that mm-hmm. that just kind of man and a guitar just trying to hitch a ride feeling to it um but all those yesterdays also has that kind of dirty guitar case dusty hmm. tumbleweed feel to it and i think played acoustically i do have a greater appreciation for the Ooh, song wow. you're right it's not one of my favorite numbers but if i had to listen to the song i think i would prefer to hear it live acoustic than i would to hear the studio version so i'm with you on that one so you're going your, your pick is long road but you are appreciating my pick yes okay okay equally I, I would say that they're they're neck and neck. If I had an honorable mention, it would probably be all those. Okay, days. okay. Um, my second choice here, and this was actually uh, harder than all those yesterdays, because I really do enjoy um, the the electric live version, and that song is "Parting Ways." And again, the the main riff is suited to the acoustic. It's another one of those kind of picking chord um, progressions that's really cool. And like I said, I really love the album cut um, because of the ending, especially live. It's just super, super powerful when it's plugged in. I mean, there's a number of takes from, I can't actually can't wait to do Parting Ways as our lyric of the week because I'm curious to see what your live cut is going to be because that, that, that entire tour when they play that song, it was just, it just, it's just huge. The way they play that that ending um but the sentiment of the song the theme and the story it makes so much sense acoustically the articulation of the outro is more obvious and it really adds a different dimension of reflection and humility to the words for me Mm -hmm. that heavy open chord you know in 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 the usual version i almost feel like a bit of anger like like a like a cathartic anger of the of the breakup uh, as the story mm-hmm. goes which i think is it's fine um but for this the the acoustic brings out a different catharsis a different kind of emotion 
which I think is equally um, valid. Uh, so both reactions, mm-hmm. feelings are great, but there is something really special about that the way this story comes through in the acoustic version um, that I really, really do enjoy. Nice. I'm going to go with WMA. Ooh, interesting. And it's only been, it's it, we've actually done a song yes. evolution on yes. this. I think in 08 in New York, they did this. And I, I want to say in 2016, maybe, or, or maybe it was twice in 08. I forget now, but uh, it was a few times. There I, mean, a, I think they busted it a, out a, in a handful Tennessee. of times. Yeah, Unreal. they'll play yeah. an acoustic and uh, the, the strumming pattern changes each time. And each time I find it to be a new discovery, I find it to be just as equally um, ambitious, but also appropriate for the song. I think there's a revelatory outrage present in the lyrics of this song and while the studio version captures all those elements beautifully uh, there's something about the acoustic version that that fits that bob dylan vein you know what i mean it kind of has that that uh masters of war feel to it where it, it just kind of rings a little bit more like a protest song i think uh, mm. which i think at its heart is what wma is and so that particular version, any version of it acoustically, because again, as I mentioned, the strumming pattern changes each time you hear it played in that fashion. I find that it, A, it's a new discovery. And, and you know, if Pearl Jam said, hey, we're going to play WMA acoustic for our next unplugged set, uh, that would be the song that I would be most excited to hear only because I've heard it twice already or two or three times. And it sounds different in all those versions. So it would lead me to believe that it's going to be yet another newer iteration of that track which I mean how many times can you reinvent a song the fact that it's been reinvented three times at this point or more and it sounds fresh each time really excites me so I I would say that WMA is a song that while I do love and adore the studio version I do feel that when it's played acoustically it it sounds like something so different And, and not a lot of songs that Pearl Jam does when they play acoustically sound that way so I'm going to go with that. That's one. interesting choice because because it's such a drum focused song and Dave really put that whole thing together and he basically made a loop and they just, you know, as a story. I mean, for Stone and Mike to come out and throw that thing together the way that they yeah, do, it's because you go from how he plays the riff on the drum riff on the on the album to what he did live to how it evolved when Jack got his hands on it and Jack that's kind of in Jack's wheelhouse but he jackified it even more to like right. not playing it for a while to Matt coming in and that's that's not really his thing so he played it differently no. to then going to the hey Stone's going to start on the acoustic and Matt's going to back off a little bit like it's just it has really taken a number of forms yeah. um, it's the Transformers of, of or I guess Chameleon <laughs> of, of songs so it's interesting like I, I don't know that I'd say that I like it more acoustic versus electric. I just like that it that it changes because as they change the music, the theme unfortunately stays the same. And so you're kind of like, it's kind of like, hey, this is a problem that we have in society. It stays the same, but the music changes as time changes. <laughs> so it's like this cool dichotomy, yeah. right? Yeah. That's an interesting it choice. Great. I like that. All right. Uh, my last choice here. I wonder if I'm going to get killed for this. I don't know. Oceans. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, the, the guitar tone on Oceans on the album is already in a way kind of acoustic sounding, if that makes any sense. The, 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 the way they have the guitar set up on the album are very organic sounding. There's not, um, they don't sound overly processed. And I mean, I don't know what guitars they use on the recording, but I feel like I get more of what they were going for on the record in the live unplugged version than the record itself. Does that make any sense? Yeah, that does. Uh, Good. (laughs) Now, it sounds like a weird thing to say, but you think the record version would make me feel like you're really pulsing with the flow of like water because you would have the opportunity to, to do that, to add, you know, effects and really feel like you're amongst the waves get it <laughs> yeah i um, do sorry it you know it does it does but you know there's something there's something more immediate about the acoustic version maybe maybe it's because the guitars aren't the star of the show in this song but the acoustic guitars 
really allow Jeff, Dave, and Ed to shine a little bit more. And there's just something about Mike and Stone, me and Acoustic that lets them sit in the mix a little differently. And I think that that really benefits the song um, and in the in the way that Ed sings it. Because I think the way Ed sings it does make you feel like you're floating along, um, along with Jeff's bass. You know, Jeff uses a, um, a fretless bass, and so the way he kind of goes up and down the neck, you kind of get that rocking, that buoyed effect that I don't think the guitars really matter as much. So the fact that you're going to make those acoustic, it just kind of makes the whole thing kind of sit differently. So, you know, I, I went back and forth in this one, but listening to the opener from MTV Unplugged, I was like, you know what? I think I like this more. So I'm going to go with Oceans, guys. Okay. You disagree? I'm into it. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, it, 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 it's a fascinating take. I, it's not one I had thought of as an option for me only because I love the atmosphere on the mm. album that I think it's lost in the acoustic version but I will say that uh, Eddie's voice does carry it beautifully on the uh, unplugged version so where are you going my number mm -hmm. one Lucan oh my god how did I fucking I, I totally forgot it <laughs> so for, for oh, a couple of reasons number one if, if you go back to Matt Lucan yeah. who's the former Mudhoney and Melvin Spaces he described the origin behind the song, and, and uh, this is from uh, Grunge Book on Tumblr. This is what he said. It's uh, it's actually an outtake. This excerpt here from his book, uh, Everybody Loves Our Town: An Oral History of Grunge. He said Vetter had a stalker chick that would come by his house that was freaking him out. And he'd start to avoid his house after a while, so he'd just come by my place. Better to come over and we'd sit around the kitchen and drinking and stuff and talk about his stalker problem a little bit. I would just blow him off. It was just drunken talk, throwing darts, having fun. There'd be other people there, sometimes four or five of us, just me and Eddie and our wives and mutual friends like Bob Whitaker. The Pearl Jam song Lucan is about how my kitchen's a sanctuary for him. Also, I was giving him shit about all their songs being too long. That inspired him to make Lucan a one-minute song. I've always flipped him shit, never let him be the rock star that he is. This is what I love about this song. When you listen to a song like Lucan, when you play it acoustically, even at the pace that it's mm. played at, you, it doesn't feel like a rock star song anymore. You know what <laughs> I mean? It doesn't feel like this. this and that's what I think. I, it, it fits the whole origin of the song about Matt Lucan saying, I'm not going to let you be that rock star that you are because to me, you're just any better. And, and I love that, that, that uh, sentimentality factor to the song. And when you, when you hear it played acoustically, it feels more like a sanctuary. It feels like a bunch of guys sitting around a kitchen playing. Whereas when it's plugged in, it just feels messy and distorted and, and full of angst and anger, which I think does appropriately capture the sentiment of the song, the, the, the frustration of the song. But played acoustically, it just seems to fit the mold of where the song emanated from, you know, the, the, the origin of which it is comprised. And in addition to that, the slow version from Madison Square Garden is arguably one of the, the best reimaginations of a song that I've ever heard Pearl Jam do, or any band, quite frankly. And so it is by far the only version of the song where when reimagined and played acoustically, I personally find to be far superior than the original, to a point where it's like, they're not even comparable. That's how great I find the slowed down version of this track. So for me, it was a no brainer. This is the number one song I would rather hear acoustically played. Whether they play it at its album pace or not i still think it, it comes across better acoustically than it does I'm, on the album and, and i really love the uh, electric flourishes on there like the uh, what's that high note that um that you get into that ringing high note um, well i mean i believe there are um strings in that only slowed down acoustic no version. i'm talking about the album version. oh it's that e5 chord and but oh, there, i think, I like think a mike's weird, playing like, like high up on the neck somewhere yeah, it's just like a bell sound or something. I mean, it works well on the track, but I, I just think there's something about the acoustic version that really seems to accurately reflect the the real intimacy that's absent in the album version. So, I mean, you absolutely said it, um, and I agree with all of that. I am really mad at myself for somehow forgetting that, so I'm making it <laughs> 1B for me. It's your honorable mention. There you, there you go. go, yeah. I mean, it's not even... It's 
I've dishonorably mentioned it by not mentioning it. Like, what the hell's wrong with me? <laughs> Uh, I even, you know, when one of uh, Lenny Prado's um, personal live streams a few months ago, I, I uh, those are great. I, by I, the way. Just special <laughs> shout out great. to Lenny because he covers so uh, many those people. Of you listening, there. I mean, and they, it's a wonderful way to support an artist. So if if you like Black Circle, the next time you see Lenny or Krista post a, a little update about Lenny doing one of those, please check them out and uh, and and throw throw them in a few bones. I actually just um, requested a song for his next one. I requested oh, "Lightning Crashes" by Live. Oh, yeah. but the last time I requested a song was a few, was a few shows ago, back in like the early spring, late winter, and uh, I, I asked him to do "Slow Lucan." <laughs> he nice. he kind of stumbled through it, but it was it was it was good of him to try, and it was uh, you know we've only heard "Slow Lucan" literally once. They've only put it that one time at the garden, mm. and uh, I think we both included it on our. What if we could choose ten songs and an unplugged version two? Um, it's a stunning I mean, version. How do you not? So <laughs> yeah. everybody listening was probably yelling at me when I said "Oceans." Like, how could you forget looking? Oh my god, you idiot! Well, here you go, guys. <laughs> Wait four more minutes, and you would have realized that I am acknowledging my idiocy. So add in Lucan one B. There you go. Uh, what do you guys think? Um, let us know. Uh, I'm sure you guys will chime in on 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 the Facebook post and the Instagram post as you do. Um, we got some really good reactions with the uh, Riot Act retracking. I, lo- I love when you guys chime in with that stuff. Even if I don't agree, I appreciate your opinion. I may talk shit about you behind your back. I'm just kidding. I, I won't do that. But uh, <laughs> we appreciate you guys uh, uh, adding into the conversation. And here as well, uh, now that you heard this. So let's move on here to our next segment here. We have done it in a little while. But uh, there's a finite amount because there's a finite amount of albums. It's over under. We have not done this ep- this uh, album yet. It is versus. Do you want to go first, Paul, with your over your overrated choice? Mm, no, I'm going to let you take <laughs> the lead on this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I kind of sort of gave it away last week. My overrated choice is Elderly Woman. Yes, I recall. Uh, it's this album is tough because I do. Really, really it's enjoy. Flawless, it. almost I mean, it, from it's beginning to end. <laughs> it's one of their finest. So yeah. Obviously, this is there's a giant grain of salt going into these overrated choices. That said, I think this song is kind of universally beloved as like a fan favorite, and like everybody. There's a reason why they play this song almost every night. As much as I do like this song, and I do like the story behind it. It's it's a simple enough song where it grows a little weary on me after a while. Better Man does too a little bit, but not as much. And I had mentioned it last time around. It's a very poppy song. It's a very hooky song. It's a very simple song. And if there aren't a lot of dynamics to a song, after a while, it starts to get a little boring is the wrong word. But it's like, all right, I've heard this. You know, we only see these guys so often. It's three and a half minutes I could be used on, you know, black, red, yellow, which I've never heard. Like, give me that. Uh Um, So because everyone loves it and it's probably like they're if you said, what's your favorite song on on verses? A lot of people would say this song, I think it's like it's kind of like the, um, you know, if if you're like a, a casual fan or, you know, you get your significant other into the band and like, well, what would you do? You probably give them this is one of like the first five songs to listen to to get again because it's a, it's a it's the most accessible song on the album I think maybe outside of Daughter. Um, mm. So for that reason, because of how much people love it, I think it's just a little overrated. Um, although I rate it quite well. Uh, what, do you, what, what do you think? First of all, am I crazy well, on that point? No, you're not. I mean, look, elderly woman behind the counter in a small town, also known as longest title in the world. You love that joke. Uh, I do. I know. It's lame. I suck. Anyway, uh, <laughs> look, that song's been played 489 times. It's a lot. It's actually, in the band's mind, I don't think it is the most beloved song of the fans or among the fans from this album because Daughter has been played 505 times. And for me, that is the most overrated okay. song on this album. For a, a few different reasons. Number one, if you read the lyrics of Daughter, 
I think 75% of the lyrics can be are, are comprised of, of the following two lines. Don't call me daughter, not fit to. The picture kept were, will remind me. That's almost the entire song. It, lyrically speaking, I don't believe it's it's Eddie's finest effort. I think the ideas behind it, the way it opens, the, the, the first verse, it's a beautiful song in a lot of ways. Obviously, it's been played as many times as it has been, and it is as popular as it is for a very good reason. It was most recently covered by, uh, God, I'm going to do this again. Was it Nancy Wilson? Yeah, there you go. that's right. I, I didn't, I didn't. <laughs> and, and I thought that her version was great, and, and the reason behind covering it for that particular film was very appropriate as well. It's a wonderful message that raises awareness, and I think the song is important. It's not a throwaway or a B-side. It's a very, very good song. It's on the greatest hits album for mm-hmm. a reason. However, it's very repetitive. Yes. And I, I, I feel as though the song would... And maybe it was designed that way for a reason. Maybe Eddie would come on here and say, that's the voice, and the voice is saying this because that's all that needs to be said. And there, there's... That's fair. I, You know what I mean? I'm not criticizing the song necessarily... As much as, well, I guess I am. <laughs> I, yeah. But uh, I just can't help but feel as though it, it's one of those songs that when it comes on, when I'm, I throw verses on and I figure, you know what, I want to listen to this guy from front to cover, back to back, uh, front to back. I, uh, I find that this is the song that I struggle with wanting to hear all the way through. Mm. That that and, and Glorified G. But oh, <laughs> come on. I know, I know. Uh, not, again, neither of these songs are poor. Don't get me wrong, but after a while, I mean, once you get halfway through "Daughter," you basically heard all the lyrics you're going to hear yeah. and all the music you're going to hear, more or less. And so then it's just, you know, almost all of it all again until you get to the shades go down. And so I, I can't help but feel as though the repetitive nature of the song really does make it somewhat on the overrated side. So unless you absolutely adore that part of the song, it's really hard for me to not feel as though it's the most overrated track on this album. And by the way, just a little bit of a, um, a qualifier here. Uh, when Jason and I say that a song is overrated on an album, we're not saying it's a bad Absolutely song. Not. We're not saying it doesn't deserve its reputation. We're simply saying that given its reputation or how prolific it has been played or the way it has been received by the, the overall fan base, we personally feel based on the given track, that perhaps it, it, its popularity or its value or meaning might be slightly overinflated is what we're saying. Absolutely. And uh, I, I would argue that one of the reasons why they probably play this song so much beyond just the fact that it's a it's a hook-ridden song is that it mm-hmm. gives them an opportunity to jam out and do tags. It does. There's always a tag. I know. So, I know. Um, yeah, good choice. But what does that tell you, though, that, I mean... <laughs> It's almost like the the tag is there to give the song an element of freshness exactly. that might otherwise be absent. Exactly. So, all right, underrated, Paul. I'm gonna go with Dissident. Great song. Love that choice, by the way. I think a lot of people like this song, but I think they should love it. I think the story was ahead of its time, and the the hook. That guitar riff is incredible. One of my favorite sections of music by the band, period, is the bridge. Period. Uh, It's such a powerful song while being pretty and poppy and accessible at the same time. It's a a hard combination to do. Um, And I think it's it's a very concise pop rock song, but it's heavy enough and it's... um, um, dark enough to offset the the poppiness of it. So it's got a really good balance, and it, in live it just crushes. And I just think it's fantastic. And I wish people would would. I don't think we hear this song enough live. And I, I, it's probably it is hard to sing, just at the ending there. Mm-hmm. But I think it is an un, probably the most un, well. Of course I do. It's the most underrated song on this album. What do you say? Uh, that's a compelling argument um, it's not what I would regard as the most underrated song on the album although it's highly underrated it was one of my favorite songs on the album when it yeah. first came out 
uh, mine is WMA because aside from Rats, this is the second least played song on the album, mm. which a lot of folks I don't think knew that. I, I mean, it, it actually was has been played less than Dissident, and uh, I think I did know that because it's, than, it, that's a, did you? Well, okay. t- talking to your point about it being better, Glorify G has been played more than W. Well, I mean, you talk, we we talked about the song acoustically, right, and how it's kind of transformed over the years because of the drumming style. It's it's probably been like a oh, this seems like a bit of a a bear to tackle in a way that that works and so they have to actually work at it to find a, a new way to do it that suits their tastes at the time so that's probably why it just lives in, in tag form mostly perhaps i i mean i think it's it's a shame really because there's a lot happening in this song sonically i think that the the lyrics granted i understand somebody might say all right paul <laughs> If you're saying daughter's lyrics are repetitive, I mean, are you really gonna flip the script here and say that WMA is one of the most underrated songs on the album because its lyrical content is equally, if not more so repetitive. However, I think the profound nature of the lyrical content is just as relevant as daughter's. Uh, I could make the argument that it's perhaps, uh, somebody, I'm not going to, but some could make the argument that it's more profound due to the fact of its greater context that the societal relevancy mm. of it and the fact that and you and i have mentioned this sadly this continues to be an issue in our society today uh, i'm talking about uh, what happens when we we profile folks racially when, when we have um, acts of violence and aggression perpetrated on citizens due to race um, and uh, the role that our our law enforcement play in that uh, and, and again it, it's such a challenging song because there's so many wonderful amazing dedicated cops in this country and uh, th- they deserve to be honored and they deserve to be respected and and I think by and large you know in most communities you'll find that you know you survey and you canvas and folks will say that they feel feel safer because of, of the presence of, of police and, and the dedication and commitment of those officers. That being said, it, just like with any profession, there's always going to be some folks that make foolish, errant choices who suffer from a lapse or perpetual errant judgment. And sadly, that is captured and it becomes prolific enough where it gives everybody associated with that a bad name. And it's, it's just one of those things where I'm not trying to get on a political soapbox here, but the reality is that these ideas that they, they keep being relevant for the wrong reasons yeah. and 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 we keep having these conversations and so i i think for a song to for this to be the second least played song despite the fact that in terms of of its social commentary which i think a lot of this album does as does 10 it's arguably the most relevant and and continuous problem within our society I'm surprised it hasn't been played more often. I'm surprised that the band doesn't make it a point, given their role in uh, our, our country's social justice and activism history, that they haven't made it a point to try and play the song more, even if it means playing it and, and reinventing it the way that they did acoustically. So we'll see. You know, I mean, I'd be curious to see how things play out with an upcoming tour. I mean, the last time that they played this song was 2018. So it's been a while. It was abroad, by the way, in Italy. So, would love love to hear it again. The, um, I think we mentioned this actually when we had our little mini episode about this song um, mm-hmm. right after um, George Floyd George Floyd's death. Pardon me. Um, we said, yeah. you know, if the tour had been going on at, the, at this time, man, we, this thing would be all over the tour. And I wonder if it'll still if that feeling, that urgency to play it. Um, will remain. Um, I think that should. I hope it yeah. does. Yeah, I, I really hope that it does. I think this is a song that America needs right now in a lot of ways. Yeah, I agree. All right, guys, let us know what you think. Um, elderly woman, daughter, overrated? Dissident, WMA, underrated? How do we do? And what did we miss? What do you yeah, think? Absolutely. All right, let's get to our lyric of the week. Lyric of the week this week. It's a Paul favorite. Comes from Vitalogy. It's nothing, man. Once divided, 
There's no other way to get around this. We've 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 talked about this song um, in different capacities a few different times before. Um, we've danced around it. In these lyrics. It's time to really dive in. And uh, the final finally, the day has come to talk about Nothing Man in an in-depth way. So, Paul, <laughs> lead me down the path. Go ahead. You know, my friend, it's amazing. This song has only been played 137 times. I know. Uh, we talked about Daughter being played 500 times. I mean, this song to me is a gorgeous masterpiece. It's one of their finest efforts. Um, I am hopeful that I will have the opportunity to hear it the next time I'm blessed with the chance to hear the band play live. I, I, I hope for your sake at Dana Point that you hear it played live there as well. Uh, you know, I don't know what it is about this song. There's an aversion to playing it live. It was first played on March 20th, 1994. It didn't get played again until 1996. And I think it only got played two or three times. And then it didn't get played again until the Yield Tour in 1998. For a song to be this poignant, this beautifully expressed and articulated, I do not understand the aversion playing it live. There, there's something about the song that the band just is reluctant to embrace live more often i don't know what it is it's def you asked stone one time you know play no way yeah. and we talked about this story in the past and uh you know i want to know what why is this song only been played 137 times in any case the lyrical content of this song i think where it succeeds for me is in capturing that alienation and loneliness that accompanies a mistake. And the mistake is having love that's real and screwing mm -hmm. it up. And, and the last line that you shared here with me and that we heard just a moment ago, caught a bolt of lightning, cursed the, lay he, the day, pardon me, he let it go. That's what real true love is. It is a literal bolt of lightning. And if you can capture that and it doesn't, burn you alive. You know what I mean? If you don't die from that, if it doesn't cause you to fizzle out, you have found something that so very few people in today's society and, and arguably ever find. And I love the mathematical intro to these set, mm. to this set of lyrics is once divided, nothing left to subtract. And it's such a poetic way to look at a relationship that when you have two people that are in love, that once they've been divided of this man, there is nothing left to subtract. He's literally nothing. Some words when spoken can't be taken back. This the idea that words stick, you know, we're taught as children, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is a farce. Yeah, really is. But the reality is that the words we speak tattoo us mentally, spiritually, and emotionally in so many ways that cannot be quantified or measured. And, and too often we shake that off and say, oh, they're just words. They're just jokes. They're just that. And granted, in, in fairness to those who, who, who like to make light of things for the purpose of uh, taking power away, uh, I don't want to denigrate that process. However, in a relationship, you can't say something hurtful and think that it'll just be you know, shook off. Yeah. Uh, that stays with that other person. Walks on his own with thoughts he can't help thinking. And this is that curse that stays with you. You know, it, it's that you, you see that person everywhere you go. You see that person in traffic signs. You see that person at crosswalks. You see that person at the tables of restaurants you went to with him or her. 
it's just haunting. There's premonition there. Uh, future is above, but in the past he's slow and sinking. These lyrics are some of his finest efforts. It's a shame that more people don't get an opportunity to hear these. Uh, so for me, it, it like I said, it, it's arguably one of my top two or three favorite songs Pearl Jam has ever composed. Um, I think that the song does a majestic um, job of accomplishing what we think is common sense, which is if, if you found a way to achieve true love with somebody, don't mess it up. <laughs> don't it screw seems it up. Simple. Uh, it seems simple. And yet too often we can't get out of our own way and we foul it up. How anyway. does that happen? And so how, how do we, if it's if, fear, if, my if, if man, it's fear, I think it's fear. It's fear of, of messing it up and therefore you self-actualize mm. it. It's fear of not being worthy, thinking that you're not worth it or, or fear of it not being approved what a self by others. Prophecy that, you can, that is that not having, it, it really yeah. is. There's so many ways that it fails and falls apart and, and it can be attributed to so many possible things. And it's, it's unfortunate because I almost feel as though almost everybody, Dare I, I mean, I don't want to say everybody because that's so absolute that I feel as though somebody listening might say, oh yeah, mm. <laughs> let me tell you my story, buddy. But almost everybody I feel has a moment in his or her life where that path is actually paved for us. And sometimes we have the strength and the courage to go ahead and seize that moment. And, and other times we don't. And we live with the belief that it'll just keep happening again and again and again for us. And for the lucky ones, hail, hail to the lucky ones, hmm. right? For the lucky ones, that opportunity might come across more than once. But for some, it may not. I don't know. And this song really does beautifully capture the consequence of what happens when you are lucky enough and fortunate enough to have it and you let it slip through your fingers. And, and what I love about the song is it doesn't necessarily fully, we can't extrapolate truly what went wrong in the relationship either. And I don't think it matters. That's not what's relevant. What's relevant is that it fell apart at all. And, and that's the idea here behind the song is if, if you have that right now, don't let that be you because you will ultimately be left with nothing. You mentioned Hail Hail. Um, I always think that song is like a cousin to this. Uh, or part part yeah, of the story but you yeah. mentioned the last line before the course call it a bolt of lightning mm -hmm. curse the day he let it go it's a microcosm of the story right think about the song lightning bolt again the same imagery to evoke yeah another part of the same theme of like the, it, it feels so sharp and so strong when you feel it and yeah, you have to catch it. And did we just stumble on a new trilogy? Might be. I mean, lightning bolt. I have to think that nothing that, man yeah, and hail, hail. I have to think that, that Ed was thinking about nothing man when he wrote lightning bolt, because it's, it's like the redemption story, right? It's like, what if you didn't fuck it up? You know, it's lightning bolts. Like if you didn't screw it up, you get to be that. And then, if you did fuck it up, you take the, you know, you Robert Frost it and take the other path, right? Yeah, um, yeah and, the road not taken. Yeah, and, and go down. Two roads diverged in the yellow there one. There you go. Um, and become nothing, man. So I find that very interesting to think about those two songs in that way. And then Hail Hail as, as the third leg. But um, it's, it's I, I would say relationships love in general is probably the strongest and most used um, theme of, of music because it's something that literally everybody can understand. Yeah, highly relatable. You yeah. know, it's the most, it's the most relatable thing because it's the one thing that we're all looking to find. And I think this song works in two ways. One, it's a cautionary tale for those who have not experienced love yet. It's like, listen to us. Mm -hmm. We've, we're older. We've, we've experienced a few things. If you've not experienced love yet, let me tell you what's going to happen. If you do and F it up this nothing, do you know what nothing is? You ever experienced rock bottom emotionally? 
this is what this is. Don't go on this path. Heed my warning. And then the other is, I think, a way to empathize with people who have. You know, so if, you, if you've, like I said, most people have probably felt this. And if they have, a song like this helps them feel like they're not alone. Because even though they are nothing in that sense, in, uh, in, in their love life, at least outside of that, they can feel like there are other people who also feel the same way. And so therefore, they are not truly alone. They are not nothing anymore. They have to get over that. They have to be confident enough to realize that there are other people like them. And so I think you can talk about, you know, we're going to merge into our live cut here in a minute, but talk about only hearing it 130 some odd times. More people should hear this song because there are new generations of Pearl Jam fans. I mean, they've had a number of live streams over the past year, you know, through the pandemic to kind of help us kind of keep our sanity as the tour hasn't, hasn't <laughs> happened. Right. And the last one was Missoula. Um, and I, there was a young girl in the middle of the crowd. Uh, he called her tambourine girl. It did. And he, he passed the tam- He had the, the crowd pass a tambourine back. He trusted them to do it. And it got to her like, you know, a hundred yards into the pit. Um, but there's, there's more and more young children going to these, shows and it's a that's awesome like i i can't wait to take my kids to God, hopefully they're still playing when they're old enough but um but to kind of say hey you know you you don't want to experience this and to have all those people around you who may have experienced that it's it's like a collective immediate empathy fest so for 130 whatever times, people who have been in that audience from Ann Arbor 94 to what was it, Boston 2018? Mm-hmm. Boston. Yeah. Night two. Those there's been an, a number of people in those arenas who have been like 137 wow. times. Yeah. Uh one with Dave, nine with Jack, and uh 127 with Matt. Um yeah. it's just a very interesting thing to think about. Uh, and, and it works with obviously this isn't the only song like this, like, you know, black would uh, elicit a similar reaction or immortality was yeah. so it, it's, it's, but it's something, this is the most like direct into your eyeballs kind of way of saying, hold on to the love that you have, because if you fuck it up, you don't want to feel that. And there's all the people around you that have either felt that or get it. And I think it's a really cool way to kind of coalesce around something that means a whole hell of a lot. So Nothing Man does a fantastic job of doing that. Well said. Let's now hear that best live version in our live cut of the week. And Paul, the live cut, it comes from where? Well, this is going to be an interesting live cut for a couple of different reasons, my good man. Um, first of all, you mentioned Ann Arbor. Uh, Ann Arbor 94 is the only time they played this song during the Vitology tour. So, uh, Blasphemy. Vitology. What's that? Blasphemy. Yes, it's nuts. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, the, the song was played one time in 1994 does not show up again. And they had a couple of abroad tours uh, or or shows, pardon me in 95, but 96 is the next time it comes up. And it, it it, uh, literally, it shows up twice for bridge school, the bridge school benefits in 96 and mountain view, California, which is actually not too far away from where I grew up. So I I had the opportunity to attend bridge school before, Uh, not in 96, but after that though, I mean, they did mountain view, They played it there on October 19th and 20th and 96. They played it one more time in Milan, Italy, Mm -hmm. 1996, November 13th. Does not appear again until 1998, Seattle, Washington. And it gets played a good number of times in 98. It was was a heavy part of that yield tour rotation. And uh, from then on, it just kind of sporadically just, you know, sprinkled in here and there. But... I don't understand why it wasn't played more often, um, especially in 96. I mean, you look at some of those shows in, in Australia. I, I don't know why it didn't get played more often there. I mean, it, for whatever reason. So anyway, as you know, my uh, disclaimer, I got to throw that out there. I genuinely try to find the best version of a song from the tour 
of which the album it is it, it occurs on. And so for me, I don't really have that luxury because while Ann Arbor was good, it's a very muddied, distorted electrical version of the song. I think they were still kind of feeling mm-hmm. out what it would sound like live. Uh, 96 comes out and it, it's crisp, it's clear. And what I loved about Bridge School, for those of you who don't know, it, it is a benefit to help handicapped children. It, it's a beautiful benefit started by Neil Young and uh, Pearl Jam for a number of years, played it every year that Neil put it together. And this particular version, what a wonderful way to bring that song back out and to unveil it, what I would say properly you and I've had this conversation. I do not believe that this is, that this is not one of those songs that I prefer acoustically. I love that vinyl analog sound of that guitar sweeping in at the beginning. I, I, I think they should plug it in. I think it should sound clean, not distorted. I've yet to hear that version of the song. So until I do, I'm left with muddy distortion or, <laughs> or, or, or acoustic. And, and I think that, uh, you know, the bridge school benefit, it was intimate. They, the band wanted to be there. There was something really profound about playing in front of these disadvantaged, really, really um, remarkable young boys and girls and men and women. So this version has always stood out to me. You can actually find this version on the Bridge School Benefit Volume 1 disc that came out. I forget what year that 97. came out. But uh, basically, 97, thank you. They, they took all the best versions of songs that they thought really captured some of the best performances of these benefits. And Pearl Jam's Nothing Man was a song that they opted to throw onto this compilation. And I think it was for good reason. For me, of the 90s, this is the best version of this song. Um, I've yet to hear a version of it that surpasses this, although the live on on, uh, Two Legs version, I thought was a really, really strong one as well. I'm still waiting to hear the version I want to hear live. So I don't know if I ever will, but until then, this is the go-to. Bridge School 96. There you go. Night one. The day he let it go 
here it is, Paul. Um, it's acoustic, not preferred, yeah. but still very lovely. And the setting is everything. And I think, um, I think Ed sounds fantastic. That that was a great time for his voice. Um, yeah. I think Jack's drumming sensibilities work really well on this song and the full acoustic treatment really fit the song in this performance. And I, I think we're, you know, we're happy they play bridge school to allow for that, that they're happy. They play, they, you know, we all know Ed's affinity and love for uncle Neil. Um, so they're always happy to play, but there's something about those first handful of years where, especially when they were pulling away from fame, where this was, a moment for them to to allow themselves to feel stripped down in front of these kids. Or actually, I get they, technically they were in front of those kids because they're always behind them on the stage. Yeah. Um, so I think the setting allowed for them to find what makes this song um, so intimate and and just pull it off lovely. So I I, I love the oh the choice. I know we were hamstrung with uh, the fact that they just didn't friggin' play it on that verse tour aside from Ann Arbor. <laughs> um, but, you know, maybe one day we'll get that lovely uh, clean electric version. Well, in the meantime, I'd love to hear from our listeners. What is your favorite version of Nothing Man? Um, I think it's one of those songs that I don't think I'm alone in loving. So I would love to know what is the, the, the best version of nothing man to you are you going to disclaim them from from trying to be as close to 94 as possible or just can it be anywhere no i i don't care what year it is 2018 2016 it it, it doesn't matter to me i mean the look the green habit compilation those of you familiar with the green habit compilation something very similar to what i've done which is try to assemble the best version of every song Pearl Jam has ever played live. Now, the, the thing about Green Habit is they don't really put any type of parameters around that. If it's great, it's great. They throw it on there. Whereas I try to keep a song as close as possible to the tour from the album in which it came. So Nothing Man, the version that that, that you'll find on Green Habit is the one from State College on, oh, on uh, May 3rd, 2003, yeah. which is an outstanding version. It's a lovely version of the song. Um, but as you know, State College, I think that was a show that they tried. So it was a marathon on that show. one. You yeah. know what I mean? And so it's it's a wonderful version. And it's a crisp and clean recording. So I understand its inclusion. But I mean, man, that is a that is a distant memory from 1994. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I, I'm just playing by different rules. And I'm not saying my rules are better or right or wrong. It's just, They're just different. And so I'd be interested. Is there a version other than Bridge School 96? state college 2003 that you love of this track i want to hear it we're, we're asking you in the um the outback steakhouse kind of way no rules just right <laughs> there okay and with that that's the end of the episode so <laughs> so uh we thank you again of course as usual um in listening and we, we always appreciate you guys uh listening to the show chiming in online uh being a part of the conversation because that's what it's all about this is a community and uh, a, a tip of the cap to um new dad randy sobel um for starting yes. the uh, pearl jam community um page that kind of assembles all of us in the uh of this pearl jam podcasting world eleven four legs and of course us uh into deep um brandon over at uh, better band uh who am i forgetting um oh the porch ladies um uh-huh who else is on there? I think uh, Anthony Chriswitz is on there with his touring fan podcast as well. A number of people, I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody and I'm like, I hate myself for it, but um, continue to have the conversation there, guys. We, we appreciate you over there as well. And, uh, you know, we're inching closer to um, Ohana. We're inching closer to the month of August, which will be, I think, very much themed. Uh, we have seen, by the way, we have seen the final artwork for the T-shirt and uh, we will have that kind of sorted over the next handful of weeks. And I think in uh, mid-August, we will reveal what that is that I will be wearing yes. in Dana Point. I'm excited. Yes. So uh, until we talk to you next week with another interesting, God, I hope, topic, you've been listening to The State of Love and Trust. Yeah.